It turns out that our experiences generally lead to success in all areas of our mm -hmm. life. If we're actually actively moving forward, taking steps, taking action, it's the stagnation that causes, you know, that kind of poverty across both, you know, personal and financial wealth. Win Monday Nation, what is up? Super fired up to be with you today. And today is a first, a first, because it's not just me plus one. The date just got bigger. It's me plus two. We are talking to Bridget Hilton and Joe Huff, who are not only obsessed with experiences, amazing friends, amazing peeps in the greater speaking and thought leadership space. So we're going to unpack everything, including their new book, Experiential Billionaire. More on that in a bit. But here's the deal. Both of them together have trained to be a samurai. They've danced with the Northern Lights. They've tracked silverback gorillas in a hailstorm. They have stood face to face with hungry lions on safari. Okay, buckle up. They've built schools for kids in need. They've studied with monks. I'm not done yet. They've helped give 50,000 people hearing. They've swum with sharks. They've worked with A-list celebrities, still not done yet. They have seen the seven wonders of the world. They've given away millions of dollars for social good. They've spoken on stage with Sir Richard Branson. Now I'm almost done. They've starred in commercials seen by tens of millions, and they have explored the experiential riches life has to offer. I need my inhaler. Uh, <laughs> Bridget and Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us, Paul. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us, buddy. Yeah, no, I, this is a, a long time coming and, you know, big bear hugs. And this is going to be amazing to introduce you to the Win Monday Nation and community. And probably a lot of folks have already seen some of the buzz that's out there in the market about Experiential Billionaire. But why don't you just give us the backstory? Because I, I would be stealing your thunder if I took any of it besides what I've already shared. So just give us kind of how this whole origin story that leads to Experiential Billionaire came to be. Well, yeah, Bridget and I, we grew up super, super rich. And um, yeah, we lived in a mansion on on a hill. <laughs> oh, no, wait, that was that was somebody else. Yeah, it, it all starts pretty far back. My personal journey, my story, uh, I grew up, um, I was raised in the Midwest. My parents met on an assembly line making brake pads in uh, Chicago. So, you know, growing up, my closest experience to a trust fund was trusting my parents would fun to trip to the ice cream truck occasionally. <laughs> so that was uh, <laughs> not that was a bad trust fund. Not yeah. bad. But uh, yeah, you know, I grew up like most kids. I wanted to be rich, like the regular old rich, not experientially rich. I wanted like mansions and Ferraris and that kind of thing. But, you know, that was a pretty far off dream based on like where I started. And I, I had a really, really rough childhood uh, school experience in, in high school. I got kicked out of school. I managed to get back in school and barely graduate, but that left, you know, very limited options for college, meaning there wasn't one. And what happened was luckily and unluckily, something really, really powerful happened in my life right around my 18th birthday. I was at home and I came downstairs and I found my dad slumped over at the kitchen table. He was white as a sheet and drenched in sweat. And my dad was only 48 years old and otherwise, you know, seemingly healthy, but he obviously had had a heart attack. So we called the paramedics and they took him to the hospital. But it turned out when he got to the hospital that he didn't just have a heart attack. He actually had advanced stage heart disease and his heart was failing. 
and it wasn't failing at some point like off in the distant future it was failing right then like mm. suddenly so mm. it was literally his condition was so grave that when when we got to the hospital after they admitted him they put him on the heart transplant list and they bumped him right to the very top of that list and it was only a couple of days later that they actually put him on life support and gave him very low odds of survival so this was all very sudden for us and we were all of a sudden preparing for the worst you know we were just there and that moment was really terrifying you know we were walking the halls of this hospital and i was just thinking like there's so many people that live like this that are postponing their life now for some future that might not exist mm. and they, that terrifying moment gave me this great gift it gave me this urgency because mm. i had been made suddenly very very aware that i didn't have you know unlimited time to fulfill my goals and live my dreams and first of all the story has a happy ending my dad was really lucky and he did wind up getting a transplant to a couple months before that happened but he actually got the transplant and after he had the transplant he wound up changing his entire life and like, he could have like just stayed close to the hospital and like the safety of the doctors and in that yeah. orbit but he was living in this really small apartment in the inner city and he had this really limited income he was on disability he was making i'll never forget he was making 716 dollars a month we all know that's nowhere near enough to survive but he was you know getting by and he decided to trade all that and go live a different life a new life and he moved to this beach in mexico and he wound up like really just recreating his life he learned how to sail and he went mountain biking and he went dancing and he you know hosted parties and he did all these things that i didn't even know my dad even wanted to do but the they were things that he clearly had always thought of but never made time for and it was really powerful to see that because up until the heart you know situation he had just worked all the time and put off all of these other goals for again for this future that didn't exist mm -hmm. so that was really powerful for me to see that because i again i was you know at the time that that happened you know my friends in high school were all you know a lot of people had dropped out of school people were going to jail things weren't really working out for a lot of folks and that gave me this urgency to like start trying to take control of my life and live my life and from that moment, as my dad started off in his quote unquote bonus round, which he liked to call it, I actually started trying to figure out, you know, what I could do. And I didn't really have a lot of options because I didn't have much money and I didn't have, you know, resources. I didn't know anybody. So, and to be, again, really honest, I didn't even know what my goals and dreams even were. Mm. But what I did that really helped me was I thought about what I would regret not doing if I suddenly found myself in that same situation that my dad was, where I was suddenly out of time. And that gave me like this really great direction. It gave me ideas of things that I knew I wanted to do. And I just started putting those things on my calendar and trying to do things that I otherwise I'm sure wouldn't have without that urgency. And that led me on this crazy journey. You know, that led me, I moved from the town I grew up in that I had somehow wound up after high school living there, I didn't really have a reason to be there. And I moved away and I, I moved to the beach because I had said that when I was a kid and I was like, why not now? And I basically took a bunch of random jobs, but I started like seeking out all these experiences. And the more experiences I had, the more people I met through those experiences and everything kind of just 
something magical really started to happen because everything started to just snowball. The more experiences I had, the more people I met, the more people I met, the more deep relationships I had with people that I aspired to be like or wanted to do things with. And that actually led, you know, again, I was really broke still, you know, I was so broke that uh, it's funny. One of the things that I, I did that was on my list was I did stand up comedy. I actually <laughs> put that on my list and I went and did some stand up comedy. And at one point though, things got so bad as I was like, you know, still trying to figure things out. I actually had to file for bankruptcy. Like I lost everything I had and I was like devastated. And I was like, oh my God, I've got to tell people I'm bankrupt now. And, and then I went to see the bankruptcy attorney and they told me it costs $2,500 to file for bankruptcy. So then I had to go around telling people I'd like to be bankrupt, but I just can't afford it. <laughs> so that was like, that turned out to be a great line for my comedy routine, but uh, yeah. But yeah, things that I thought that there was this, this, the reason I share that is I thought there was this like choice between making money or having experiences. Cause seeing my dad, he had chose work and not experiences. And I didn't think you could do both unless you were already inherently wealthy or something. And I wasn't right. So I just was going down that path of experiences. And what happened was what I think a lot of people that do invest in a lot of experiences find is you build these strong relationships and those lead to new places. They create opportunities. And one of the things that happened for me was a person that I had you know, built a relationship with reached out to me one day and said, Hey, uh, would you like to start a business with me? And I was like, I don't know how to start a business. I don't have any business experience. Did you not hear the part about I barely graduated high school? <laughs> you know, so it's essentially it was like, yeah, but you seem to always figure out how to get things done. You know, you you seem to get people together, and you know, I think those are things that'll be valuable mm. in business. And it was. We actually started a small T-shirt company that somehow morphed into this a hundred-person shipping and warehousing business over a decade, but. The funny thing about that is when it, we got to that milestone of a hundred people in our company there, that moment, I kind of looked up and realized a decade had gone by and I had stopped doing the things that I cared about. Again, I was only working somewhere along the way I had become my dad. You know, I had started yeah. doing only the things that, you know, were paying the bills and putting off all of the goals, like to some future someday kind of day. What happened from there was I actually this is again, a decade had gone by. My dad's bonus round came to an end. He actually passed away finally after his recovery, but he had had such an incredible run that that second round that during his funeral, actually, I remember thinking about how, how when he had that near-death experience, it had been so powerful, you know, in instilling that urgency into my life. So I, I thought about that and I thought about you know, I really just kind of sat down and went through that same process again of like, what am I going to regret when it comes time, you know, that I didn't do. And I rewrote a list for the first time in like a decade. And that was really enlightening because that actually brought back to the surface a lot of dreams and goals that I had suppressed, that I had pushed down. Mm -hmm. One of those being that I wrote on my list, I want to start a company that helps people. So interestingly enough, it wasn't the shipping company that I had you know, built on accident. So I actually made this crazy leap and I, I left the company that I built. And it was really crazy because it was the first time in my life that I was financially stable. And it was the first time in my life I felt, I felt my life felt bankrupt because I wasn't mm. doing things. So I left that and decided to try to start a business where I worked with charities instead. 
And that was a really scary moment that turned out to be an incredible moment because that moment led to me traveling the world. And I worked with water filtration and helping communities in Haiti get clean water. I went to Guatemala and helped build schools for children in need. I went to Indonesia and we helped victims of human trafficking and rehabilitation centers. And I traveled and saw these, these different perspectives and cultures. And it was just such a valuable experience for me helping other people, but for me also just personally, because that was the first time that I really felt like I was living my ideal self. Mm. And like that moment, that year kicked off a chain reaction that just was like, you know, that led to just an entirely different life. And that's how I met Bridget. So I let her jump in and finish our, our superhero origin story. <laughs> so. To win Monday and beyond, we all know that confidence is the ante to play. And I want to help. So if you haven't already, head over to my website and take your very own confidence quiz, where you'll walk away knowing your confidence score, 1 to 100. You'll also get my 12 keys to build and sustain unshakable confidence. Your quiz is waiting at paulepsteinspeaks.com. May Navbar hit confidence quiz. Again, that's paulepsteinspeaks.com and you'll find your very own confidence quiz right there in the main nav bar. With that, let's get back to the show. So yeah, when Joe and I met, we like instantly bonded and felt like family because we came from very similar backgrounds. I grew up in Flint, Michigan, which uh, I'm sure you've heard of from like famous things like uh, The Water Crisis and uh, Michael Moore movies. My entire family works for General Motors and I didn't really know anyone that did anything else other than like work in factories and at car companies. So when I was a kid, I was obsessed with music. That was like the love of my life, my best friend, like it was everything to me. So all I did like all day long is like listen to music and like read about it and and try to play guitar and things like that. But I didn't know anyone in my entire life that like worked outside of the auto industry. So it was, I was basically all alone in that, but I had this dream, like, and I think it was because like music was this safe space and it was like this escape to get away from like where I'm from is I really wanted to get out and move to California. You know, at the time when I was a kid, I was watching shows like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> <laughs> Where you watch it and you're like, oh my God, yeah, like that, like that looks awesome. Yeah, people have butlers. <laughs> yeah, people have butlers. I need I me a Jeffrey, yes. To, yeah. I tell the story to Joe that like when I was a kid, I would watch that show and I thought that it was fake. Like I didn't realize that people actually had like maids and butlers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that show and a lot of other things obviously inspired me to like really go after this dream of like moving to California and just trying to make it happen. So I embarked on like this rock and roll fantasy at age 14. And I started doing all these little jobs that I could find that had to do anything with music. Like I would fetch coffee for people at radio stations and I would pick up trash at like Lollapalooza and Warp Tour and stuff like that. And I worked at the CD store in the mall, for example, and did basically every possible job that I could find that had anything to do with music. Because unfortunately, like when you grow up in a 
place like that, you don't know any, there's no connections, right? There's not like, oh, my friend's dad works at, you know, Sony. It's like, <laughs> that doesn't yeah. happen. So after like five years of doing probably like 20 different jobs, it, you know, quote unquote paid off. And I, you know, I never became like a rich rock star like I had fantasized about, but I did land a job in the mailroom of Universal Music Group, which mm. is the biggest label in the world. So I'll never forget when they offered me the job. It was $20,000 a year. And <laughs> at the time I was like living in my car and then on my friend's couches, like I didn't have like a real residence. But it was like this moment of like, oh my God, like my daydreams and my fantasies can actually become reality if I just like take these steps. Mm. So that was like a huge moment for me. And that led me to moving to LA, which was always my dream. So, and I still live here. So I love it here. Yeah. When I moved here, I got to work in the headquarters at Universal and I was being surrounded by these people that at the time they were like in the beginning of their career, but it was like clear that they were superstars, you know, like I got like a front row seat to the rise of like Taylor Swift and Drake and Kanye and Rihanna and like all these like, you know, massive superstars. And at the time I was like, you know, still super broke. Like I was living with five people in the Valley and like, these are people that I met on Craigslist, just like totally random. (laughs) And our place was just so dilapidated and like gross. But then like I was also experiencing these amazing things because of who I was surrounding myself with mm-hmm. going to like these parties in the Hollywood Hills. And I went to the Grammys one year and I went to like these fancy restaurants because my bosses all had like company credit cards. So even though I was like super broke, I was experiencing like this crazy life in my 20s. So that was really, really fun. And over the next couple of years after that, I got like, you know, the true, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll experience, but there was like a lot more Microsoft Excel and cubicles than I had previously anticipated. So (laughs) I was kind of like looking for a way out. I guess this was like when I was about 26. And one day I came across this viral YouTube video of a woman that was around the same age as me and she was hearing for the first time. And it was just like, it was like a light bulb moment. I was like, man, like, I don't know what my life would have looked like if I didn't have sound and music like this woman Sloan. Mm. And, um, you know, back home, my family was going through a really rough time and my sister was battling heroin addiction and she was in and out of jail and all these things were happening. And that moment when I saw the video just made me think about how grateful I was that I had this passion for music and it like changed my life and probably saved my life. So when I saw this, I, you know, got this idea. I had sent, I sent the video to Joe who at the time was building schools in Guatemala. And he was the only person that I knew that was like, even had anything to do with charity. (laughs) Like I had never met anyone that was doing anything charitable except for Joe. So of course I sent it to him and we basically like high fived and like didn't have any formal business agreement. And we started a company called Listen that makes headphones and speakers and gives the proceeds to giving people hearing around the world. Mm. That was like the impetus of, of Listen. And that was in 2012. And, you know, we had this idea, we jumped on a plane to China and we cashed out my, you know, quote, life savings, which was like $5,000 for my 401k. <laughs> like it was not a lot of money to try to, um, start like the world's first social good electronics company. And, you know, long story short, we've been around since 2012 and we've, we've helped over 50,000 people here for the first time. 
which has been by far the most incredible experience of my life. We've traveled around the world. We've done just the most insane things over the last decade. And it's really like made me realize that like the real wealth of life is like these experiences of, you know, not just travel, but giving back and building these relationships and like having fun and like really enjoying life. So it's been, it's been a journey, but I can let Joe tell you more about that. I just want to say that I think that, you know, the message that the sentence or so that, that conveys it the best, I think is that, you know, we never got rich and, you know, we never, you know, we never sold the company to Apple, like Dr. Dre for billions of dollars. We never raised a ton of capital. We never became the biggest brand in the space, any of those things, but it's a different kind of rags to riches story because Mm. we feel like, you know, we're experiential billionaires and that, that message, that sentiment, that phrase even was born of like, as we started to do all these things and travel the world and partner with Delta airlines and Google and Spotify and all those things were happening, you know, people were reaching out and going, Oh my God, you guys must be killing it. You know, can I borrow some money? This one time that like this one year that I was in Forbes and Inc 30 under 30. And I'm sure, as you know, those lists are like super weird and they don't always make sense. But when I was in that, I was like, how is that possible? Like, I'm definitely not one of the 30 richest people in the world. Like I barely have like $30 in my bank account. (laughs) Yeah. We were giving all of our money like to charity and spending the money that we were making on the, you know, travel to support that and do that stuff. But that was like, you know, we felt like when people would ask us that, you know, we'd say we're not rich, but we're more like experiential billionaires. And that we would jokingly say that as like the deflection yeah. of like, you know, we're successful, but in a different way. And that just kind of, you know, became more and more. Again, this is like the the shift of what our view of wealth is, right? And then that led us into this whole next journey, this next chapter. Cause we're like, if that's what we think, if we think our experiences are the most important and most valuable things in our lives, what do other people think? So we started asking our friends and family, we started going to retirement homes and asking elderly people, which was a bittersweet experience. Cause that kind of actually, mm-hmm. you know, bore out the idea that as time grows shorter, our regrets grow larger. Mm. And then we ran a study. We're like, we're going to just like, let's pay and let's let's really find as much information as we can. And we ran a study of over 20,000 people around the world asking them what they value the most in life. And all those people, our friends and family, the elderly folks, the uh, people in the study, nobody put at the top of their list, my diamond ring or my grill or whatever. You know, everybody put an experience. And that was really just, you know, crazy because that just proves that we all know that, but we don't act like that because the alternative side of the coin is that we all know this when you ask people, but at the end of life, three out of four people have major life regrets for all the things they didn't do. Yeah. So they're not doing the work. They're just kind of paying lip service to it. And then they're still pushing it off into this like fictional, I'll do it someday in the future. Yeah. Like when people are on their deathbeds, like no one is like, you know, asking to see their wallet for the last time. Right. But that's like, like we act like that's the most important thing. And like at the funeral, like nobody says like, you know, I loved Paul. He was wealthy, you know? (laughs) No, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And that's where I want to bring us next. So if I'm hearing all this, and for one, thank you for all of the color and, and, and the backstory, because I think it really builds up to the point of what we've covered in the last few minutes here, which, and I'll never forget this, A, it's a different spin on rags to riches. It's not the Hollywood version, but this is the real version. And not only for the two of you, but then in all the folks that you surveyed and that you spoke with. And, and so I think that's a wonderful thing. And the other piece here of as time grows shorter, our regrets grow larger. And, you know, I think that's something that we always struggle with is like, what are we going to regret? And I would say, even from my work, 100%, it's not the things that we tried and didn't work out that we take to our grave and we regret. It's the things that we probably in our heart felt and knew we wanted to do or want, and we never swung the bat those are going to be the massive regrets. And so it's more action-based versus outcome-based. So, but if I'm in the Win Monday Nation here, so I want to, all right, I get it. I want to be an experiential billionaire, regardless of where I'm at today. Because in Win Monday, we're all about one step, one day, one decision, one action at a time. Like it's very bite-sized initial steps. So walk me through, this is a new message to me. I subscribe to your philosophy, but I don't know where to start. Talk to me. Sure, sure. And first, I think I think I want to just address something that I know everybody, every listener that hears this message originally always thinks about. It's not about money versus experiences. I want to just first clarify that with a quick, you know, reference. Yep. That's why we share our story. You know, it turns out that our experiences generally lead to success in all areas of our mm -hmm. life if we're actually actively moving forward taking steps taking action it's the stagnation that causes you know that kind of poverty across both you know personal and financial wealth yep and i think like some as a sports metaphor you know the people that are you know for instance you know, football players they're trying to win the super bowl they're going to get paid a lot because they're playing pro ball but they're not like the the goal for a lot of folks isn't to just get paid a lot they're trying to win rings you know they're trying to have this experience and that's leading to the wealth that comes with it but as far as like the steps go you know that's the stuff that we go through in in the book in detail with all of the exercises and to your point paul that is the most important thing it's like getting across that starting point so one of the things that we like to do is we like to like take big goals that people have and then break that down into what is one thing you can do to move that goal forward today because whatever mm. the goal is i don't care if it's like you're gonna you're gonna climb mount everest you've got to figure out first how to do the research then like how do you climb mount everest you got to get yep. permits what's it cost how long is that going to take blah 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 so there's steps that you can break down all the way so really the important thing is putting those things into your calendar so i don't know like what do you bridget do you think it'd be fun to do the memento mori or the treasure map kind of yeah. So I love the R. So we call it low to high ROI exercise okay. where it's like you take these small steps towards a big goal. And so like 92% of people who make new year's resolutions, like don't follow through on them. And then the 8%, the difference between the 92 and the eight is that they take small steps. So mm. we took that fact and turned it into an exercise about like just making these tiny, small steps. But, um, I think like, to your question, I think the number one thing people need to do first is to find that urgency and to figure out what you want. Because most people don't actually really know what they want. I mean, if you ask someone what they want to do, 
a lot of people like in our survey or whatever might say like, I want to travel the world, but that's a real thing. That was the number one thing that I thought of like impulsively. Like if you put me on the spot and I wasn't expecting the question, I would have said travel the world. Right. Which is a great goal, but like we've been traveling our whole lives. Right. And like, we're, we're barely at like 50 countries. So like, if you want to travel the world, you got to like pick places that you want to share. Right. So no one can just travel the world without having those, like, like the first place you want to go, maybe it's Greece or whatever. We have this exercise in the book called the treasure map. And it's kind of what we start people off on. We have them start by filling out a memento mori chart, which is like 76 boxes. And you check off like each year that you've lived. So 76 is the average age of an American in like the average age of death. So basically, so I'm 38, I'm halfway through exactly through this memento mori chart, which is very scary to look at, but it's also gives me the urgency every single day. I'm like, you know, I got to go after my dreams. I got to do the things that I want because I'm halfway through the average American lifespan. So we start people on that and then we ask them to kind of like do the math on like, okay, like say you have like young kids and say they're like eight. So you have basically like 10 years of them left in the house. So what do you want to do in those 10 years? Do you want to take them on like, you know, the great American road trip? Like you should probably start planning it now (laughs) if you only have 10 summers left with them or whatever. And then once they're 18, they probably don't want to like hang out with you all summer anyway, but (laughs) maybe sooner, (laughs) be honest, (laughs) but um, it also works like with your parents, right? So if your parents are like, you know, getting older, then you should figure out how many years you might have with them and like start seeing them more, start doing the things that you want to do with them, like while they're still around. So the treasure map starts off. So imagine your doctor just called you and it's not good news. And they tell you that you have a year left to live. So what are the top 10 things that you would do if you knew that you only had a year left? Is there anything that you would think of, Paul? A hundred percent. Yeah. Do you want me to riff on it or do you want? I mean, you can if you want, but basically we have people write down the top 10 because that's like, everybody thinks they have an unlimited amount of time, but, and they like push things off till this like fictional someday. But like, what if you only had a year and like, that could be true. Like we don't ever know how long we have. Right. So yeah, we have people write down 10 things and then we go through the same exercise of like, what if you had a month left to live? What if you had a day left to live? Mm. And it's very, very powerful. Mm. My favorite part of the exercise is that once you're done, you look at these lists and you put an asterisk next to everything that you're currently working on. And this is really the wake up call moment because most people are not working on any of these things. Ooh. I was going to say, yeah, out of the 10 initial, if you say, okay, what am I currently doing? I would assume zero to two is the range, but what, what do you actually see? Like give us kind of the data points in your experience so far. Zero, yeah. honestly, it's zero. Oh, zero. Wow. Actually, most people are like, it's something that there's a dream or an idea or a goal that wow. they haven't started, but because they're afraid or they don't know how or don't know where to start, but it's something that they really want to do or try. But because it's a big goal, those are the types of goals that we put off, right? Those are the things that people put off. And this this kind of list, you know, evolves as you grow and get older and, you know, start to understand more which is really interesting too, right? Because I think that a lot of people, I don't think that I know that because of the study, a lot of people wind up 
executing on goals that they come to realize aren't their goals. They're doing stuff uh -huh. that society or their family or their community mm -hmm. or their whatever pressured them into thinking this is what I should do. And it takes a big wake up call of like, okay, if I was going to die, that's not what I care about. What I care about is this other thing that I've never done or never tried or never wanted to do. And that's really powerful because that's like a dream that you either had and suppressed or that you've never actually articulated or vocalized. And once you get those out into like the world and write them down and look at them, you're like, how come I'm not doing anything about this? You know, so it's kind of the accountability. Yeah, it's yeah. also like giving yourself like a near death experience without hopefully without the actual near death experience, because we all know those people that have those experiences of like, you know, something happens, like they might get in a car accident or have a, you know, something like cancer or something like that. And then they wake up and then they're like, I'm going to change my entire life. And like, we don't want people to have to do that. Like we want people to like live in that moment, like without having that near death experience. Yeah. My dad's story. That's why I share it because not everyone is as lucky as my dad. Like if my dad had passed away the first time around, if he didn't get a heart transplant and that was available, like it is in this day and age, like I would have had a very different view on life. I would have thought, whoa, life sucks. You work forever and then you suddenly die. Like that's mm. bullshit, you know? And that's really, you know, it's powerful to see how people change their lives when they've had that real wake-up call. I was just going to say like, so instead of saying like, you know, someday I'm going to visit that dream destination or I'll get back in shape or I'll learn Spanish or I'll grow a garden or plant a band, you're like, whatever, like you want to do, it doesn't have to be like a big ticket item. Like, instead of saying like, I'm going to do that someday and I'm going to push it off until this, like, you know, until I graduate or until I get married or, you know, get that promotion or retire, like instead of waiting, like we want people to put those steps, like starting now because yeah. you just really never know like when it's all going to end and to your question paul about like you know taking small steps the other thing i think is really important to point out is that when we did this study of over twenty thousand people of course it's awesome to do big bucket list things that wasn't the majority of things by far it was it was all small things it was literally 90 percent of the responses were things that anyone could do that the things that people cared about were like i always wanted to play in a band or play an instrument or learn a sport or learn a language or you know these are things that you don't know the steps to get to like the proficiency or whatever level so you just put off like booking your first lesson or you know starting to learn about it but those are the things that anyone can do and and we're it's sad to read those like when we read the answers we were like wow you know and a lot of them were even things like and i'm sure you probably thought of some of these on your list of 10 were things like i would call so and so and rekindle this friendship that got fractured or mm -hmm. i would go visit my relatives or old friends from college that i always say every year i'm going to go see them again and i don't and those are things you can do that don't cost a lot of money it take a lot of time to just take intentionality and those are things you could from a win Monday, kind of take a step. It's like, okay, let me look at my calendar. Let me pull out my calendar right now and go, okay, you know what works is three weeks from now on the weekend, I'm going to text so-and-so and say, are you guys free? Let's get together. Or I'm going to find a music teacher that teaches the banjo. I'm going to like book my first lesson or whatever the thing is, make that first step, make that. Yeah. Commitment. 
Yeah. yeah, a couple of thoughts immediately come to mind too. And I'm, I'm so happy you brought us here because I think a lot of times we have depth perception issues, right? Where like sometimes it's like you underestimate what you could do in the short term and maybe we overestimate it in other ways. But like if you really, I love your exercise of 10 and then cut it down or sorry, uh, the the year and then cut it down to month and then cut it down to a week and you could get even more finite than that. But I think there's a lot that we can do. And we always talk about these three table stakes in the Win Monday community. We talk about awareness, ownership, and intention. What you all are doing as a part of this experiential billionaire mission that you're on, you're making people aware. You're getting folks to take ownership of their life. And you're also creating intention in their decisions and their actions. And so I, I think that's a beautiful framework that you're bringing us to. Love the spirit of Win Monday? Then join the Win Monday community, an elite tribe of like-minded and like-hearted people just like you and I on a mission to get 1% better every day with unshakable confidence. For Win Monday gear, motivation, and exclusive content just for you, you can find it all at paulepsteinspeaks.com. In the main nav bar, click on community. paulepsteinspeaks.com, main nav bar, hit community. With that, Welcome in, and let's get back to the show. Before we close out with a few quick hits, whether it's the book, Experiential Billionaire, whether it's bringing you in to share this story with a company, with an organization, with a nonprofit, whoever it is, a university, I know y'all have been very active in that space as well. Where can we find you? Where can we follow you? How can we connect our Win Monday Nation to you both? Sure. Well, we'd love to work with anyone listening, do a keynote, a workshop, podcast, whatever you would work best for you. But our site is uh, experientialbillionaire.com. And then Joe and I each have speaking websites, uh, joehuff.com and bridgethilton.com. Nice. I love it. I love it. And so as we come down the home stretch here, you know, we're at the time we're recording this and at the time that we're launching this, it's that classic time of the year. And Bridget, you brought this up. We're not too far away from these three words that we always do, but we don't do. So we always do a New Year's resolution like we think about it and maybe we actually ideate it and maybe we actually pretend to plan it. <laughs> and then by Gen 10, poof, it's toast. In most cases, I will throw myself under the bus and say my batting average, while I found a thing called the head, hard hands equation lately to get me to get over that hump, historically, very low batting percentage. So I would, I would ask you this, both of you, what can we do in this closing time of 2023, or maybe some folks are listening to this, this 2024 kicked off, but kind of give us that wrapper, that, that advice, that perspective, or maybe there's even tools in your kit. I know this is more than just a book, but what can we do in this kind of December, January reflection into action time zone? What I do every single year is um, do the treasure map exercise, write it down on an actual physical piece of paper and put it up somewhere that you see it every single day. And I am like obsessive about this. I get like a new planner every year. I write it down like on December 31st. And then the next day, my thing is like up on my fridge or my mirror. And I like really, really try to do these things. And whether it's like something small, like 
you know, talk to my family more or whether it's something big, like, you know, go to India was on my list this year and and it made it happen. And, and like, you did it. Yeah. I, I saw it. And yeah. Like, you no, know, just stuff like, in a, it's a, a lot of like creative stuff too, obviously, like, you know, this year we obviously put out the book. So that was like the number one huge thing on sure. my list, but it, it doesn't have to be that big. It can be, you know, write a joke, write a song, Absolutely. do a piece do painting. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll just, you know, add to that with, you know, I, I actually, I have mine on the wall right behind my computer screen. Like I keep my treasure map up every year and I, I, every year I update it and it's powerful because it's accountability. And I would say to folks out there that, you know, want to really enhance that accountability after you create your treasure map and actually think about this is what I want to do in 2024. These are, this is my number one, most important thing. These are the maybe the three places I want to travel or the five accomplishments, whatever your map looks like, get it somewhere where you can see it and then tell someone, tell someone that Mm, you trust, maybe several people and say, Hey, I want to share my goals with you. And I would love it if you kept me accountable, if you checked in with me on my progress, you know, whether it's a text or a phone call or email or whatever you, you know, get together, something where someone else that you know, that you trust can get together with you and say, Hey, you know, are you doing what you said matters most to you? I love it. Well, Win Monday Nation, you heard it here first from Bridget and Joe, how to become an experiential billionaire. So not only pick up the book, head over to the website, ton of cool goodies, whether for you or as gifts during the holidays or in the new year, it is totally right up the Win Monday alley. So from the bottom of our hearts, Bridget and Joe, thank you for being on the Win Monday podcast. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Another fire episode of the Win Monday podcast is in the books. If you gain value from today's conversation, don't forget to subscribe and share it as we grow our Win Monday nation together. Until the next time, let the rest of the world fantasize about Friday. You and I, we choose to win Monday.